This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, bunk? Hey, that's to know. Oh. Hey, real quick, before we jump into Action Movie Rewind, Dirty Harry. Do you think he said that to every single criminal that he pointed the gun at in his whole career? Did he say that? Like, he said it twice in the movie, but do you think right. he said it to, like, 500 different criminals? I, I think only the ones that career? meant it. Because, like, he's got to bust so many chops, you know, I'm, I'm sure. I don't, I don't think he says yeah. it to every. I think if you pulled a gun on him, he probably said it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, but like so if, like you, if did, you pulled a gun, he probably said it to you. Like, if he pulls you over for, for weaving no, in and out no, of traffic. No, 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 no. But if you pulled a gun on him, then yes, then he probably did. I know what you're thinking, Bunk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a forty-four Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> Welcome to the party, pal! Action Movie Reviews with Mac, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Kill him. Sir, I don't want any more trouble like you had last year in the Fillmore District. Understand? That's my policy. Yeah, well, wouldn't that... Adult male is chasing a female uh, with intent to commit rape. I shoot the bastard. That's my policy. Intent? How did you establish that? Well, a naked man is chasing a woman through an alley with a butcher knife and a heart on I figure he isn't out collecting for the Red Cross. <laughs> Action movie rewind. And we are throwing it back. I think, gentlemen, this is the oldest action movie we have ever reviewed. Mm-hmm. Dirty Harry from 1971. I don't think because 48 hours was like Death Wish is the second, and I think it was 74. So I think you're right. So we have uh, we've set a new mark. This was Declan's pick won the vote. It was one of the closest votes in the oh my gosh what the three or four week history of voting on Action Movie Rewind. (laughs) Uh, The Marine with John Cena did not Uh, fare very well. Stumbled out of the. You were happy about that though. You purposely tried to pick one that you knew didn't. Yeah, you did. I threw the vote. I wanted Dirty Harry, uh, and and we got Dirty Harry. So let's go through. We'll go through the summary, and then we'll get to all of the key questions from this classic. Cop Harry Callahan, played by Clint Eastwood, attempts to track down a psychopathic rooftop killer before a kidnapped girl dies. When he is found, 
Harry abuses the murderer's civil rights, putting him back on the streets. Once he's released, he hijacks a school bus, and Harry must go after him again. The only way to stop this vicious killer is in cold blood. 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Dirty Harry launched a series of Dirty Harry movies. I think there were five total, spanning all the way through uh, the late 80s with different names. It wasn't like Dirty Harry 1, Dirty Harry 2. I shouldn't know that. Right. Yeah, it's like... Uh, let me find it here. The last one is has nothing to do with that name, and it's, I believe, I, Eastwood. Impact or something? Yeah, and I think Eastwood directed it by then. So you've got, Mag, you've got Magnum Force two years later, The Enforcer in 1976, Sudden Impact, which was directed by Clint Eastwood in 83. That's what it is. And then The Deadpool in 1988 were all okay. dirty, hairy movies. 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. A $4 million budget turned into $36 million at the box office. So Which, a nice little success. And 1971 was enormous. Yep. I believe translated for inflation, I think it was like a $150 million box office movie. It was pretty good. Pretty good. Clint Eastwood and then a bunch of, bunch of random uh, people in this movie. So let's get to the key questions. Judd, your main takeaway from Dirty Harry. Okay. Hold on a second. I got to flip through. I got three pages of notes for this one because so, I enjoyed it so much here. Okay. My wow. main takeaway. <laughs> you triple spaced a couple of those. Yeah. My, my main takeaway. Well, yeah, but I mean, yes, but it's still, it's still three pages. Um, my main takeaway from this film, which I had seen parts of before on commercial TV, but had not committed myself to previously to actually sit down and break it down and watch it all the way through, was how perfectly 1970s this film was. But I mean that in a good way. It was seedy. It was dark. It was gritty. It was creepy. It was shot largely at night where it was actually hard to see yeah. the scenes, but yeah. they, they did, did that on purpose. It was politically incorrect. It was politically incorrect as could be. The The term, the term is neo-noir action thriller film, and this lived up to it perfectly. Wow. I remember as a kid, so I, I was born in November of 69, and so I grew up basically in the 70s as far as just getting to know the world. And I remember in the 70s I was sort of scared of life. I'm like, this this is all very dark and creepy. Like, this decade <laughs> seems very dark and creepy and eerie. And I thought, you know what, it's just me, I'm young, you know, I'll grow up. But I now realize the 70s was that. Like, it was sort of just, like, weird and and odd. So that was kind of my question is, like, did people just live in fear of Zodiac killers? Yes. All it was throughout very, the yeah. 70s? Um, hijackers on planes. Mm-hmm. I'm still scared of that. Serial killers were big. Were bigger then than they are now. Um, we, didn't, we didn't really, because we didn't have ter- terrorists as we know them now, but we did have... People who would hijack planes, which scared you. Um, it's probably a lot easier to hijack a plane in the 70s. And films themselves, too, I feel like were shot very differently. And this film, this film to me, encapsulates how seventies films were shot. So my my main takeaway was really how it was done. Okay, on the neo noir thing. So I've never heard that. Was that in like like Wikipedia the Wikipedia has page it, or yes. something? Neo noir action thriller film. So I googled neo noir movies, expecting oh, it's probably like a lot of late sixties, seventies, right? Kind of dark, dingy. There are actually multiple modern neo noir movies, and if I, I'm going to throw some of these at you guys, and if you can, and obviously like the fact that these were filmed forty years later, it's it's a it feels different, but kind of the same. Okay, John Wick movies. Are neo noir? I can see that. Yeah, sort yeah. of dark, right? Yeah. yeah, they are very dark. 
Have you guys ever seen Drive with Ryan Gosling? Yeah. Uh, yes. Actually, it might might be a selection on this week's uh, this week's choice. Dude, I was we should. So, okay. spoiler alert. Good enough. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. And it fits perfectly here. Um, let me see what else. I've, I've seen it, and it is, and it would fit as well because yes, it was very sort of dark. Yeah, John Wick three is on here. There's a couple Harrison Ford movies, Blade Runner with Harrison Ford in 1982. Not seen it. So uh, a seven is a neo noir thriller. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Saw that in the theater. That's a real good one. Super creepy twist at the end. But but I do feel I do feel like this film was shot literally darker than those films. Mm. Like, those films were dark and sort of grainy, yeah. but this is literally shot at night at times so that you really can't tell exactly what's going on. Yeah. It was interesting. Declan, what was your main takeaway? Uh, just how much of a badass Clint Eastwood was. You know, like, obviously, I, I haven't seen a lot of old Clint Eastwood, or, or, or younger, I should say, Clint Eastwood. I, I, you know, Gran Torino is one of, like, my all-time favorite movies. Um, it's I, I love that film. So getting getting to see him actually in the seventies with hair and in the flesh, and um, <laughs> him just being a badass through the entire film. And I love how kind of Judd said it's uniquely shot where it's dark. And then also I believe like the first words aren't uttered till like the you know six minutes in once they're just surveying that first kill and whatnot. So I thought that was super interesting. And I would say this is the most like psychological action movie review we've done. Like it was just it, there was there's a lot of twists and it was kind of dark. It plays into the neo-noir. So, yeah, I would say Clint Eastwood and just how, honestly, like, probably not innovative. I don't think that's the right word for the 70s, but how cool it probably must have been to see a film like this in the early 70s. Would you say this movie was better than Trouble with the Curve in terms of uh, Clint oh Eastwood God. movies? That's one of the worst <laughs> Amy films Adams is great in that. Time. I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. one of the worst films of all time. <laughs> She's fantastic. Was Trouble with the Curve, that came out after Moneyball, right? Yeah. It, was, it was like the response to Justin Moneyball. Justin Timberlake, I think, is in it, too. JT's in it. <laughs> Well, Amy Adams, oh no. By that point, Clint was just playing I'm old, get off my lawn, Clint. Yeah. Yeah, he, in fact, all right. Like, he's made a career million of dollar that. Million Dollar Baby, right? I mean, he's in that He's made movie. a career of being like, get off yeah, my Yeah, Million lawn. Dollar Baby. It's a great movie. So his, his run in the 2000s, Space Cowboys 2000, Blood Work, I haven't seen Blood Work. Million Dollar Baby, Gran Torino in 2008, Trouble with the Curve in 2012. He was an American sniper, uncredited. He hmm. directed that movie. I didn't know he was in okay. it. Um, and then if you go all the way back, he was in all kinds of what they call spaghetti western movies, too. That's the good and the bad, the the good, the bad, the ugly. If there's a Mount Rushmore of Clint Eastwood movies, and I'll admit, like, Clint Eastwood, he, Clint Eastwood is more Judd's time, but even before Judd's time, because he really took off in the 60s. So I haven't, like, really dove into all of the Clint Eastwood classics. Spaghetti western is a great term. But the good, the bad, and the ugly is on the Mount Rushmore. Dirty Harry's on the Mount Rushmore. Yes. I think Gran Torino is probably on the Mount Rushmore, yeah. too. And then there's a million other ones that you could probably put in this mix. But he was in from like 19 – let me pull this up here. From 1955, and then this movie was 1971. Okay. I think he was in other non-Western movies, but a lot of his stuff between 55 and 71 in his 20s and 30s was Westerns. And, like, and they would pump out – like John Wayne, for instance, was probably the biggest Western star of all time, right? In the 30s, 40s, 50s, and war movies. And it's amazing. You see top stars now, and they might do like one movie a year, maybe two movies a year. So sometimes you get to a point where like Tom Hanks is doing like one movie every two or three years, right? Yeah, they don't need to. I mean, back in the day, guys like Clint Eastwood were pumping out like four or five movies a year. Even in 1971, he did... Dirty Harry, Play Misty for Me, and The Beguiled. I don't know what those other two movies are, but he's like at his peak and he's doing three movies in a year. 
And I feel like that's not quite as common now, especially during COVID. They're not doing any movies now. My main takeaway was similar to Declan's in that Clint Eastwood just, like, it didn't matter who else was in the movie. This was two hours or an hour and a half of Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. And his entire character is just like the epitome of a 1960s and 70s man's man. (laughs) He is our dad's generation's man's man, right? I don't know who that is now. Maybe The Rock. Probably The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, right? But you didn't need... His key was, though, that that was at a time when actually if they didn't give you a lot of dialogue, it was almost a good thing. Like now it's almost now it seems like there's more. Uh, But back then, like Dex said, he goes a long time without talking. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of sort of grunting and hissing and and sneering, but not a lot of like he's got lines, but he doesn't have. If you did this film now, if you came back and decided to do this film in 2020, I feel like there'd be a lot more funny sort of creative lines from the main character. Back then, it was just like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he just they like. They call me Dirty Harry because I clean up all that. Now you know kids. <laughs> well, there's now the scene know. where he's eating a giant hot dog while still yes. shooting. That's she, a great scene. That's a great scene. No, he tells the guy, call, call the police. There's a two one two. There's a two. There's a, yeah, yeah. Make sure you tell <laughs> well, him. It's great. He in, also he also progress. he clearly goes to that diner like every day. It's like the lunch or dinner. Does it make a difference? Yep. So clearly it must be a hot dog for lunch, and I got to imagine it's a burger for dinner. Right. It's it, it, it's definitely not a salad, and yeah, it's yeah. definitely and not it, sushi. And it might be the same thing. It's the it's it's either a steak, a burger. I could. I even wrote down in my notes because like I've. I worked in baseball, obviously, for two years with the Saints and covering twin stuff, too. Like, I ate hot dogs every single day I worked. And, like, I could totally eat a hot dog every single day from my diner. And also mustard only. I don't know if you saw that, Judd, but mustard only. Was it mustard only? On that yep. hot dog. Yep. Mustard only. But it's just great how he sees the car outside the bank. <laughs> yeah. It's running, so he knows that it's a robbery. That's still what it and then, But, but they, they did a very good job of sort of subtly setting up who he was without hammering you over the head with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm trying now, now that we're getting into sort of the, you know, like the, the iconic nature of Clint Eastwood. I, I really feel like top action stars of like movie star action guys, the man's men of each generation is a thing. Like there's the Clint Eastwood men, right? Oh, yeah. my, my dad grew up in the Clint Eastwood. He was John you know, Wayne high school, before, college. Right. John Wayne, Clint yep. Eastwood, where, you know, they've constantly got a toothpick in. If you went into their bathroom, they probably have a toothbrush with no toothpaste and a bar of soap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're just manly men. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they, you know, they have scruff and they grunt and things like that. And then in the 80s, it became more like glam. It was these bodybuilder types. Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it became and colorful. Kind of steroidy. And, yeah. yeah. That, yep. That's when colorful. it changed to dialogue and, hey, let's shoot this in as much color yeah. as possible. <laughs> yep. So yeah, so just Clint Eastwood as an icon and a man's man, and uh, and I would say we played the clips off the top. I think him with the "Do you feel lucky?" line twice in this movie. I think that's Punk. one of the greatest, most iconic, especially yeah. the end one where he, where he actually pulls the trigger and shoots him. I think that's one of the five or ten most iconic action movie scenes of all time. Yeah, pretty solid. And just the, the line five. itself. That's the only yeah, thing. That's the only thing I knew great. about this movie. I knew that line existed from this movie, and that was it. Yeah, he also has the in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I believe it's it's the Go Ahead, Make My Day. Is so that when that is? I think so. Okay, or is, I don't, it's I don't know Western when that movie. line is from. Because yeah, 
Go ahead and make my day, make my and day. then uh, do you feel lucky? So he's got these iconic. Here's lines. my my question: Is this post this film? How many of those guns were sold? Because he basically does an ad for the gun. Oh, uh, by the way, sudden impact is go ahead and make my day. He basically does an ad for that that gun. Like, he tells you all about the gun. <laughs> it's the most powerful gun. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah. Hey, can I buy one? Yeah. Home protection? I think you're probably right. Can uh, I blow your head right off? Clean off. Clean off. <laughs> Play one more time. I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? <laughs> I love the comma before punk. Like the clear comma. Pause. Lucky. Punk. That's good stuff. Uh, what was your favorite part of this movie, Judd? Gotta go back to my last page of notes here. Okay, this is, go- this is going to sound weird because it's not a main part, but. It helped about halfway through establish the character perfectly, and I thought it was it was at the same time funny but effective. It's when they, they get called for the jumper, and he takes the cherry picker <laughs> all the way to the top of the roof, and the guy's threatening to jump. And Harry insults the jumper, to which the jumper says, you know, you son of a... And he lunges at him, and Harry grabs the jumper... Cole cocks him, knocks him out cold, pulls him into the cherry picker, and takes him down. I thought that was a great scene. Like, it's hilariously funny. It, it establishes that that character is has that name because he cleans up all the crap, right? Yeah. Like, he goes to jumpers. He thwarts a, a bank robbery attempt. Like, he does all of the crap for the police. I thought that scene was absolutely perfect. It was quick, effective, and funny. He's also he. he I'm trying to think of a, an, an athlete comparison here because he's a, <laughs> he's kind of a superstar, but he's willing to roll up his sleeves and do the dirty work too. You know, he, like he'll grab a rebound. He'll dive into a fumble pile. He might be a slightly better Ben. Zobrist in Zobrist is prime. Yeah, he can kind of do everything. Because he can play left, he can play second, he can play short if he has to. He can he can negotiate, he can investigate, he can do traditional police work. And and he's got a great shot. He does. Like does. that shot, he's clean blowing people away from two blocks. Holding kids under their arms. Yeah. He's got a, yeah, he's got a rifle from right field. That's what he has. He does. Uh, Declan, your favorite part about Dirty um, Outside of, like, obviously that the first scene where you talked about where he has the hot dog and he's literally... Does the first uh, do you feel lucky part? I also loved the like psychological part between him and the killer in the phone booth scene. All right, police officer. This is how we play. I bounce you all over town to make sure you're alone. If I even think you're being followed, the girl dies. If you talk to anyone, I don't care if it's a Pekingese pissing against the lamppost, the girl dies. Is the girl okay? Just shut up and listen. No car. I give you a certain amount of time to go from phone booth to phone booth. I ring four times. You don't answer by the fourth ring. I hang up, and that's the end of the game. The girl dies. What time you got? 9.30. Now listen. You listen. I'm watching you. Not all the time, but you'll never know when or where. It's pretty pretty cool, to like the way they set up that whole scene where he's chasing phone booths. He's trying to figure it out. He's also trying to play coy because he knows his, like, his, yeah. his partner is still kind of in on it as well. And when they finally meet, he, like, honestly almost beats him to a death. Like, he almost kills Harry. 
Um, and I just love the psychologicalness between the two. And and when I get into my least favorite part, it 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 kind of when I first saw this movie, or when I first started watching it, my least favorite part really stood out. But then I kind of understood it, and I I rescinded it a little bit. Like I think it still applies. But I love I just love their dynamic together because I mean he is flipping insane. Yeah, the I think I think you nailed it with the payphones here because it, it's it's a dynamic that doesn't really exist today. That he has to go. It's it's nighttime. It's hard to sort of navigate your way around. He knows the city because he's from San Francisco, but. But he doesn't have an iPhone and a GPS, right? He's like he, he has to go from payphone station to payphone station within a certain amount of time and and pick up the phone before the fourth ring. And just imagine, like, I can't even navigate my way around Roseville without GPS. <laughs> and I've my- lived here for 35 years. And he's, like, navigating San Francisco with <laughs> what he thinks is you know, a woman's life on the line. Here's my question, dead. though. Would you do it with a blazer on the whole time? <laughs> I love how he's running around San Francisco like a madman. And, and by the way, he really does not start to sweat, which I don't get because I'd be dying. But he does it with a blazer on the whole. It's like, dude, lose the blazer, okay? It is amazing. Well, uh, I think James Bond is notorious for keeping the blazer on oftentimes. <laughs> okay. And uh, it happens in Mission Impossible, too, where like they'll just be dressed up at some, some gala. And, and it's the 70s, so it's different. But I just loved how the blazer <laughs> never came off. And he like didn't start sweating profusely. <laughs> no. I think, okay, my favorite part of this movie, this is a little bit of, uh, I, I, was, I was probably going to go in a different direction until Declan brought up the payphone thing because I love that scene, too. I'm going to go with the use of the newspaper classified section in this movie. So Scorpion is right. demanding $100,000, and he's also demanding that they post their response in the San Francisco Chronicle. And so I don't know how, how – he, he I can't remember. Did he say classified section? But they So they put their response, the police department, in the classified section. Right. And they said, to Scorpion, we agree. We just need more time or something. And he and he somehow finds it in what I would assume is a pretty jam packed classified section in the seventies in San Francisco. But um, how much of you guys? Declan's probably zero. How much of you guys ever dabbled in the old school newspaper classified section? Not in the classified section. Oh, I mean, are you kidding? Yeah. No. <laughs> is it still a thing? It used to be huge. Um, I don't even know, but if it is, it's not much. I, but it used to be everything. Like it used to be a form of selling your stuff, or you know, yeah, I, the, it was. Enormous, and then I think Craigslist came along yeah. in the early two thousands and sort of undercut it a little bit. Well, and then all these apps now and the like, real estate, right? Because that that you, the, the uh, Sunday paper used to be so huge because the section that had all of the uh, listings for houses and stuff that's right. were enormous, and like Couldn't just Edina Realty right. used it, and then. Uh, they all took their business online because I think it's basically free apartments too. And like now, you, yeah, now you just go to apartments. But I mean that. Down. Newspapers used to basically print money off of that because those sections were huge. Yeah, the old, the nineteen seventies and eighties Sunday papers were enormous. Yeah, enormous. I, I remember. So, so I grew up on a hobby farm, and there was a couple times we had outdoor cats and stuff, and and I remember a couple times like a cat would get a mama cat would get pregnant, and she'd have you know six, seven, eight kittens or something. And the first time we ever, this was a huge mistake by our family. We went to the Star Tribune and we paid like, I think it was like 50 bucks or something. Paid like 50 bucks. We just wanted to give the kittens away. We didn't want to keep them. We had too many cats. Um, and we and we, and we we were like, I mean, we could charge 100 bucks, but like, wait, who cares? Let's just, let's just give the kittens away. 
So we put an ad in the Star Tribune classified section on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Free kittens. Thinking, oh, this will be easy. We'll just, we'll, they'll just, the phone will ring and we'll just get rid of the kittens. The phone rang for two straight days. Oh, my God. Oh, sure, yeah. Like, it literally just yeah. it just kept ringing for two straight days, and we just, eventually we just ignored it, but that was that was my only experience with the classified section. And the, the key was, it was the home phone that rang for two straight days. Yes, that's true. So people <laughs> looked in the classifieds and called your home phone, both yeah. of which now essentially do not exist. But yeah, Very. it was a huge, but I, I thought that that part of the storyline in this film was really good, because it was like, and the thing... I liked is the film was not really that short, but they did a really good job of emphasizing things and telling stories fairly quickly. I yeah. thought your least favorite part about Dirty Harry, Judd. Um, there were a lot of parts that were very like questionable as far as how they tracked or didn't track, w- which was not a huge deal. Um, I had a couple. One is at the start of the film, the woman in the um, rooftop, the old school rooftop swimming pool, who gets shot by the sniper, the first to, to get shot by Scorpio. So that was a great opening scene. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a great scene, except the detectives come and pull her lifeless body out of the water, and but they show her by her dead body being put in the body bag by the pool again. Mm-hmm. But there, the pool is not being drained, and there's no blood in the pool. There was blood in the pool. Yeah. So what, was there the second time? There was blood in the pool for sure. It was. I like, saw it the first like time. The corner. Like, are you saying first time? I like saw when, the, when, when she gets shot. And yeah. Then saying, uh, that, and then you, no. When when she's, then I saw it, but when, I was looking for it the second time and I didn't see it. When she's so when her dead body is is up next to the pool, the blood has sort of dissipated all throughout the pool, and there's red in the in the oh, corner. Oh, okay. I of didn't pool. see it. Got I, it. I didn't see it. Okay. And my second my second thing was so this guy's clearly crazy. He's been on a shooting spree in San Francisco from rooftops, okay? And Eastwood, Harry's tactics are questionable. Mm -hmm. But you're telling me the district attorney is going to call in (laughs) basically a retired judge and have him say, we can't get an indictment here, just let him go. And that you're going to unleash that, that an elected official in the city is going to unleash this madman back into the City yeah. because Harry Callahan mm, sort of violated his rights. Also, like, couldn't you? I make, don't think you do that. I, I get that he violated some rights, but he also like attacked a police officer, and they had they found yeah. an illegal weapon on him, well, and, and all plus, these different things. Plus, Harry was right. He is pursuing what they think is not yet a dead girl. Now she was dead. But, I mean, that gives you the right to do a lot, a lot of drastic things. And he admitted to kidnapping and on the phone call that, with And him. Harry said right. he, and they're like, well, I asked this retired judge and we just can't do it. Yeah, by the way, he's the one calling the pay phones and Harry's <laughs> just picking them up. So if you've got if you've yeah. got someone calling a payphone, you pick it up and he admits that he has kidnapped a woman and is going to kill her. Yeah, he was. Okay. Like, like I've <laughs> seen a lot. So I, I was like, so. An elected official is going to basically turn this guy back loose because the detective or or inspector, which I love that term, the inspector didn't totally do things by the book. That one was a little bit of a uh, reach to me. I'm with you because you watched an you watched an hour and a half of evidence gathering. Yeah, even if some of it was like not admissible in court, there's got to be something. They got mm-hmm. Al Capone on tax fraud, it's, forgot tax evasion. So exactly, you get this guy in something. Dex, what was your least favorite part about this movie? All right, so. Well, for starters, before I get into the, the main one, I did not when, – when they're having their little battle in the park and, you know, the and Scorpio all, almost kills him and then 
Uh, Clint Eastwood's able to stab him in the leg with that knife. And then Harry's able to, like, get bandaged up. He is somehow able to escape with, with a knife in his femur, it looks like, like in, like, in the main part of his leg. <laughs> and it just seemed like, and, and that's, it's, I, I don't want to question the validity of action movies because that's for the sake of it, but it seemed a little far-fetched that, like, Harry was back on the football field shooting him, like, I don't know, an hour later, and he was also, who had a pretty significant limp, was able to, like, walk away and wasn't completely dead or, or, or couldn't walk anymore. Like, I had a little problem with that, a little nitpick in, in, in that regard. My other one was, at, for when I first started watching the movie, I was like, are you kidding me? This guy is the killer. Like, this is the main antagonist. He looks like he just graduated with a six year, like six figures of debt from San Francisco art school. I was like, you got to be that, kidding me. I, like that, really? That, yeah, for, that was my oh, first no, thought. Because he has like one. this floppy hair, and I'm like, this ha- he has to be like a pawn. Like, he's a pawn to the bigger actual bad guy. That's what yes. I first thought. This is my least favorite part, too. And okay. I, I was just like... You gotta be kidding me! Like you. this is the most San Francisco looking guy I've ever seen, and he has like this great sniper rifle, is picking people off. He's also just like he's not he's not cool and calm and collected I, enough. I need you to gu- do all the things that he is yeah. supposed to be doing. I need you guys to Google right now, Ted Bundy. Right, but Google, I mean, I, I, Ted Bundy was like cool, calm, and calculated. But I mean, I he's think. still a sir. What what, what I from my, what my friends say about him, but <laughs> what I'm saying is is serial. Killers come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. I thought the guy was super creepy, and I I actually liked that part. I liked how so, how he looked. I'll say that as the film progressed, and you got to see how clearly deranged this man was. It it helped. It helped more. It helped me understand. Okay, so this guy could do this, but I had a little bit of a nitpick on just like the overall appearance of him because he looked like any other San Francisco Joe Schmo. Yeah, he felt he just he was super disheveled and, but and that's like the, key to the it. scenes where he's like having mental breakdowns, but then he's also putting together these. I think what doesn't make sense to me where there's dissonance is he's deranged. He's having mental breakdowns. And he's he's not cool, calm, and collected. And yet, the scheme he's putting together for the first half of the movie is very cool, calm, and collected. He's sniping people from rooftops and getting away from the police. Although, I guess he didn't notice the giant, loud helicopter above him at one no, point. No, no, I thought he so. was great. He was completely <laughs> off his rocker, and, and he was, you know, I, I actually thought that that character was well done. Hmm. I liked it. Okay, I liked what, it. Let me do a little dive here. What, uh... Was that guy in anything else? Yeah, he's been been in a bunch of stuff. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and I think he's still alive. He's like 78 now. Really? Oh, wow. Yep, he's still around. A bunch of folks, of course, from the film are dead, including including the principal or or the the, uh, school president from, what's the film I'm thinking of, that was the, he was the uh, mayor in this film. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Animal House, I think, right? Hold on a second. Now now we've gone down a Wikipedia wormhole. Animal House, I think, is what he was the, uh, I think he. John Vernon. I think the mayor was. John Vernon was uh, the mayor. Dean Wormer. Yeah. Yeah. Dean Wormer. All right. So uh, the the villain here, this was his first ever movie. He was the the Scorpio killer in 1971. Uh Uh-huh. He he made a, a bunch of appearances in just like random 70s TV shows like. Bonanza, Street San Francisco. Kojak, I think I found him on SWAT. SWAT was a great movie. He was great in show. a, a few A Team episodes, The Incredible Hulk, Vegas. He was in a Walker Texas Ranger episode. See, there you go. You've probably seen him. He just looked different. Man, okay. Uh, movies that he was in. Oh my God! Wow. Cobra, Hellraiser, mm. Child's Play Three, 
There Goes My Baby, The Puppet Masters, so all kinds of Homeland Security in 2004. All right. All right. Oh, okay. let's, let's still, let's he's let's still with us. Yeah. Too bad. Good for him. Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna. My, my least favorite thing was the same thing as, as Declan's. Okay, you're the the least believable thing. We're gonna carry this question over from last week. The least be, Declan might have already gave us yeah. his, but what was the least believable thing for you in this movie? I'll give you one first, just okay. to start this. Okay. Yep. The police are just gonna give this dude a hundred thousand dollars to end the whole thing. Wasn't that their initial plan? Oh God, what does he want? Hundred thousand dollars. Well, and then at the end, he's like, "Together, I guess." Take him to. He will go. He will go unmolested. Yes, that's what he kept saying. He will be unmolested. You will not stop him. It's like what? But like, it wasn't like, "Oh, we're gonna use, we're gonna use the money as bait." They needed like, no, they're just gonna make him go away. We need some time to get the money together. I don't know why it takes like three days to get a hundred thousand dollars in San Francisco. I know it's the seventies, so it's inflation. But um, (laughs) and then the the other least believable thing for me. The bus scene at the end, so this is me in Action Movie Rewind nitpicking bus scenes all the time. So the bus scene at the end, they've got like 10 or 12 children on this bus. Scorpio is just going mental, and this poor bus driver, she's like trying to keep it together, right? So he grabs control of the bus and like knocks her out cold. <laughs> Which I love when and she this, falls over. this bus is weaving back and forth. It's ramming into cars. It's crashing through fences. And then they show a shot of the kids inside the bus. And they're all just like sitting in their seats still screaming. Like there's no seatbelts on well, this and bus. How about the... Those kids would be flying all over the place. They'd be flying out the window. <laughs> and how about the fat kid who starts crying? Well, yeah, because he got smacked upside the head. I thought by the guy a... was going to kill him finally. Like, it's yeah. like, would you quit crying? Well, you have to. I don't, I don't like hitting the child was what was what probably put me over the edge with this bad guy. Actually, like, all right, dude. I, the creepiest thing I think in the entire film was when they find the girl buried and she's naked, and they like pull her up and i think she was completely it was very it was like disturbing it was like you really didn't need to show us all like i get what you're saying i get what's going on actually it kind of felt like i don't know when like the first like naked women started showing up in mainstream movies but it almost feels like it's the early 70s yeah that's right we're san francisco we're loosey-goosey we can do more in films than we could do 20 years ago with the way culture and counterculture are going Let's just put a bunch of random naked women in this movie. That's what it kind of felt like. Did we need the like the random naked gal in the window a couple times that was early? Hot like, Mary? No. You mean Hot, hot Mary? Mary but yeah, did, Hot Mary. But at least she's alive. But like, like, what was I don't the need point? to see dead people. What was the point of showing her naked? I think it was movie? a 70s thing. I think it's very much a 70s thing. <laughs> yeah. They're just like the topless, in the kitchen The naked? topless shot, yeah. Yeah, I think that was a very, very... Uh, <laughs> you're, you're right. Basically, they said... We can do it. Let's can, do yeah, it. We can put naked people in these movies. Um, great. So, so the one thing to me that uh, among the things that weren't really plausible at all was so so Harry follows Scorpio around, which makes perfect sense because he's basically trying to keep, keep track, which is smart seeing as how he's been allowed to basically walk free. But when Scorpio goes to the guy and gets himself beat up, okay, to tr- to try and frame Harry and the cops. And then he basically gets beat up to a complete pulp. He's taken, he, he goes to uh, get care. He's on a hospital gurney. And the assembled media is there waiting <laughs> to talk to Scorpio. Like, it's like not one guy. It's like five people. And they're like interviewing him on the stretcher. And he's giving a complete coherent play-by-play. 
After, I mean, he would have a concussion. He got the crap kicked out of him. And he's like, San Francisco police did, did this. Do you know who? Yeah, Harry Callahan did this to me. I it, mean, it, it's, it really? Was, it was like a post game, like the football coach yes. comes out and like beat writer Judd's right there. So what did you think? What happened yeah. in the first half there? So tell me, uh, tell me, coach, what exactly <laughs> happened on that play there as you're laying on it? And then, and then Scorpio, who, who has bandaged, he's bandaged up his whole faces. He gets out. He, he gets released after getting care at the hospital and he's got like one little bandage on his face yeah no it's hilarious and <laughs> and even like one of the reporters so there's all these reporters and cameras and I don't even know how they're like even allowed to be where they are That's, in that hospital but I don't either but they're they're rushing this guy to surgery or whatever recovery room and they're asking him all these questions and that and the one reporter says nurse just please stop well, I need to ask him one more question it's like nobody you stop. It's like, last, last question for Scorpio. <laughs> it's like Bob Hagen. Last question. Okay. Time for two more. Yep. Time for two more. Time, time for two, two more, more for Scorpio before we before we go take him into brain surgery. But he'll be out later today. <laughs> Running around San Francisco. Oh, Harry okay. Callahan did this. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Dex, anything else that didn't stand out as believable in this movie? No, I think you guys covered most of them. Okay. Yeah, those are the main ones, I would say. Okay, the other thing about this movie, and I found a ranking on Thrillist.com. This was a very San Francisco movie. Mm-hmm. I love San Francisco. I have family in Santa Rosa, and so I make a trip every three, four years. Uh, and it's like it's it's a city with all kinds of amazing things, dark things, history. There's all kinds of things. And this movie, like it hit on everything. It hit on it hit on city culture. The city's a star. Yes. Like it's a definite star. The Golden Gate Bridge. Yep. So I've got a list of the 20 most San Francisco movies of all time, according to Thrillist. I'm just going to run through this, and you guys tell me if you've seen some of these. A couple of these have showed up on Action Movie Rewind, including 48 Hours, number one. It's a very San Francisco movie. Okay. They go through uh, Chinatown, and they're all running around. The Rock. The Rock, I was going to say, definitely. Mm -hmm. Alcatraz, yeah. They did a good job, too. Star Trek Four from nineteen eighty six. I will never be seeing it, so yep. I don't know. Really, yeah. Star Trek Four? What the? I'm a Star Wars guy, not a Star. Yeah, I, I've yeah, never they, seen it, but they both can. That's fine. Dirty Harry makes. Yeah, the list they too. did a great. Yeah, great job. Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah, great film. I've I great saw film. I, mean, I saw that in, in the Francisco. theater. I saw that in the theater. I have oh. almost no recollection of San Francisco, Classic. but yep. It's a great movie. Classic movie. Uh, Cuffs from 1992. Nope. Never seen it. The Maltese Falcon from 1941. Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. Okay. And it says here, shot for shot, vibe for vibe, San Francisco. Really? I have not seen well, that movie. Is, uh, I don't know if not to spoil it, but is, is Zodiac? Zodiac is not on this list. I'll, okay. I'll get you a couple honorable mentions here. The Presidio, Pacific Heights, Big Trouble in Little China, Crackers, Bullet, Time After Time, Inside Out, The Conversation, Vertigo, that's a classic, from 58, The Game from 1997. To me, it doesn't it doesn't feel San Francisco because a lot of it happens at night, but um, that's a great movie. Blue Jasmine and a special mention for Godzilla in 2014. No, okay. maybe he's terrorizing San Francisco. The ones that didn't make this movie, The Zodiac. I don't know how The Zodiac yeah, how does doesn't make this make... movie. <laughs> I don't understand how that would not Shouldn't that be it. in the top three? <laughs> yes. It's like the most yes. famous serial killer case in U.S. history, San Francisco. Yeah. Escape from Alcatraz doesn't make this yeah, list. What the hell? If you're going to put The Rock on this list, right. Escape from Alcatraz has to be above this. That's another Clint Eastwood movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. And where's Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco? Oh, yeah. Great sequel. Seriously. Chance, Sassy, 
homeward bound to they're lost in San Francisco homeward bound to uh, some other interesting notes here from the internet from Wikipedia Clint Eastwood's influence I'm just going to read this section for you guys Eastwood's iconic portrayal of the blunt cynical unorthodox detective who is seemingly in perpetual trouble with his incompetent bosses set the style for a number of his later roles and indeed a whole genre of loose cannon cop films to come the film resonated with an American public that had become very weary and frustrated with the increasing violent urban crime that was characteristic of the time. The Republicans love this film is what you're saying. <laughs> so you could you could make a case that this, that this, this the Dirty Harry sort of launched like Lethal Weapon. This and, also might have been the first cop film to have the the standalone cop say, I don't want a partner. You're taking your partner. He's your new partner, right? Because we, we had that. That whole scene. How many scenes have we seen of the cop? I don't need a partner. I work alone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And this was him saying, all right, I'll take the partner. Yeah. And apparently his other partners, one got shot and killed. The other was like still a bullet still in his stomach or something. Yeah, well, he hospital. said the one, he said the, the one tried to save a jumper. And I think the jumper jumped onto him and they both fell to, to their death. Because that, yeah. that's the explanation that he goes through when he talks about it's hard to find the body parts and we can't identify you because there's blood on your ID, blah, blah, blah. So he threw his badge into the into the water, right, at the end? Which, he just resigned? Which I actually want to get to because I, I, now re, I now realize where the influence for one of my favorite films in two ways <laughs> came from. Point Break. Point Break. Okay. Are you telling me that Keanu also did not take a lot of instruction on acting in his role as an FBI agent, Johnny Utah, from Harry Callahan? Yeah. Like, think right. about how they talk, the cadence, um, the badge at the mm. end. I think there's a lot of of the original Dirty Harry in Point Break. I got those vibes from... Um in this movie for Timothy Oliphant, who's one of my all-time favorite guys. You know who that is? Mm-mm. He's in Justified. He's good actor. Um, yeah, he's been in Deadwood. Okay. He basic, he has played a sheriff slash marshal in like four to five different movies and or TV shows. And I got a lot of vibes from him yeah. from Dirty Harry, too. I, obviously, Clint Eastwood is you know one of the most iconic and successful actors of all time. And Timothy Oliphant's a, a good actor. I wouldn't put him in, obviously, like a Mount Rushmore or on the same iconic status as Clint. But I got a lot of similar vibes that Judd was saying, too, from, from him as well. Well, did you know that Clint Eastwood almost didn't get to set this whole vibe? Oh. Because according to Wikipedia, although Dirty Harry is arguably Clint Eastwood's signature role, mm-hmm. he was not a top contender for the part. The role of Harry Callahan was offered to John Wayne. <laughs> now, wait, wait, wait. Wouldn't he have been really old at that time to do that role? Yeah, he died in, like, he died in, like, the he died mid-70s. Yeah. But... I was just going to say, so if he had played th- that role, though, I think he would have been... In his 60s. Like, like John Wayne in John Wayne's prime would have been probably great. Yeah. Uh, but that seems like a real... like John Wayne would have been, been 64 years old. Oh, boy. Okay. Interesting. He lived hard, too. So he, he didn't look like a young 64. No, no. He was a cowboy, man. So John Wayne was offered the role. Mm-hmm. Frank Sinatra was offered the role. Later on, Robert Mitchum, Steve McQueen, and Burt Lancaster were all offered the role. Okay, McQueen would have been great. McQueen yes. as Harry Callahan would have been outstanding. At that time, he would have been a perfect 
match for that role, too. And in his 1980 interview with Playboy, George C. Scott claimed that he was initially <laughs> offered the role. Really? But the script's violent nature led him to turn it down. That's amazing. When producer Jennings Lang initially could not find an actor to take the role of Callahan, he sold the film rights to ABC Television. Although ABC wanted to turn it into a television film, the amount of violence in the script was deemed excessive for television. You think? So the rights were sold to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers purchased the script with a view to casting Frank Sinatra in the lead, and uh, it wound up not working out with Frank Sinatra. What is up with Frank in these roles? Yeah, what was the other one? Die Hard. Yeah, he was promised Die Hard. But he was just way too old by that time. Because <laughs> that script but started taking Sina- effect 20 years How would Sinatra, like I might be totally wrong here, but it doesn't click in my brain how, how Sinatra as Harry Callahan would have worked. Who's his agent back in the day, man? He was Genius good. He agent. was yeah. good. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. like, what would Sinatra be? Hey, hold on there. <laughs> just break into a little. Hey. <laughs> hey, here's my friend. Here's my partner, Dean Martin. Hey, Dean, are you drunk today? <laughs> Uh, there's also wow. been real-life copycat crime and killers from this movie. This film supposedly inspired a real-life crime, the Faraday School Kidnapping. In October 1972, soon after the release of the movie in Australia, of course. two armed men, one whom coincidentally had the last name Eastwood, kidnapped a teacher and six schoolchildren in Victoria. They demanded a $1 million ransom. The state government agreed to pay, but the children managed to escape and the kidnappers were subsequently jailed. Then, in September 1981, a case occurred in Germany under circumstances quite similar to the Barbara Jane Mackle case. A 10-year-old girl was buried alive in a box filled with ventilation, lighting, and sanitary systems to be held for ransom. The girl suffocated in her prison within 48 hours of her abduction because autumn leaves had clogged the ventilation duct. Mm. 27 years later, a couple was arrested and tried for kidnapping and murder on circumstantial evidence, the case was also dealt with in the German TV series, which I cannot pronounce. So there were two copycat cases Interesting. off of Dirty So the, this was based at, at the time on Z- Zodiac Killer, right? This movie? This was based on, yeah, that killer, I believe. Uh, w- which is interesting in itself because I believe it was still an ongoing case and, and it was. at the time. I mean, so they I mean, based, it still is. Yeah. So they, so, they took a, so they took what was what had started and basically said, this looks like a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a very... Uh, Interesting dynamic. Uh, anything else before we get to definitive bad guy rankings here? Mm, we covered see, yeah. quite a bit there. We got. Oh, I've got w- one more. So, <laughs> Scorpio turns up at the hospital the first time. To Dex's point, he's been stabbed in the leg. Like I would guess that a lot of pe- people at that point in time w- would know that you know an officer was attacked, right, or something like that. But they let him go. And then Harry's got got to go basically grill the doctor on who this guy is. It's like if I had a suspect who was a, at the very best, seedy-looking guy come into my hospital, right? And he's been stabbed, and i got to clean up his leg and the wound, and it's actually a fairly significant wound. Am I just not going to call the cops at all and be like, okay, see you later, bye. What's your name, Scorpio? Bye, Scorpio. <laughs> and then the cops come and are like, have you seen this guy? Be like... I, d- I don't know. I'm not. I think so. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, also the other thing too in this movie is you, now there's so many cases are solved just based on DNA evidence, right? Yeah. Where if like if you find a bullet on top of a roof, there's probably DNA evidence on it, or there right. may or not there was, be, and you would just solve the case. 1971, there wasn't, and it just. It, I don't know why that just occurred to me, but like the, the like Scorpio as the name of the killer here, Zodiac signs, like <laughs> it's all. 
Yeah. Definitely, it's definitely a copycat concept for sure. Last thing, the sports thing. So, so where he works on the grounds crew, the oh, bad yeah. guy, Kizar Stadium. Yep. Is famous in this town for this, the home of Jim Marshall's 1964 oh, Wrong right. Way Run. So this is is this before Candlestick Park? Uh this is a. This is actually after it, I believe, no, Candlestick had opened, but the Niners didn't move there until like 70-ish or so. Okay. So I think I think I read this. I believe that the Niners had just moved out at that time to go play at the stick, and the Raiders and the grounds crew guy, Scorpio, has a Raiders pennant in his locker there. They had played their first AFL season in the 60s there. Yes. But right. anyway, Marshall's wrong way run in 64 took place at Kizar Stadium. You're right. So San, the San Francisco 49ers' first year at a different stadium, so at, at Candlestick Park, was 1971, the year that this movie came out. Mm-hmm. And I think they had just I think they had just moved, which freed the film up to use it. Yeah. And the San Francisco Giants were playing at Candlestick starting in 1960. Correct. So they weren't using this field for anything. And then they were... And I think it was a football field only at the time. Yep, and they were in Brooklyn before they got to San Francisco, so interesting. All right, definitive bad guy rankings here. The Scorpio Killer. I'm just going to give you guys the rankings we have so far, and you can kind of tell me where we think we should go here. So Hans Gruber from Die Hard, number one. Michael Myers from Halloween, number two. Cyrus the Virus from Con Air, number three. Brad Wesley from Roadhouse is fourth. Cobra Kai from Karate Kid is fifth. Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon. Ivan Drago, the Russian mobsters from John Wick. Dennis Hopper from Speed, and Bodie from Point Break. At the bottom, we've got all kinds of nondescript things like the muggers from Death Wish, the incompetent Russian military in Rambo 3, French drug lord from Bad Boys, Gans and Billy Bear from 48 Hours, Sloan from Wanted. In the middle, I'll give you some in the middle here, okay? The Albanian traffickers in Taken, the Camachos and Lunas in Code of Silence, the rogue CIA agent from The Expendables, Angry terrorist Ivan from Air Force One and the corrupt senator from Hard to Kill. I think I think he's below the corrupt senator from Hard to Kill. So and that and that's like middle. It's kind of middle of the pack there. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think he's like so diabolical and psychological. Like he lacks the iconic. I don't think I. He plays a very iconic thing in the Zodiac Killer, but I think his role in general isn't necessarily iconic. At least that's how I interpreted it as. Yeah. I, you guys. He's, yeah, there's there's no iconic factor here for the me. The star sure. of the film is only one person. Right, <laughs> yes. right, right. Like, there's no room to share but the he's, screen. He's pretty diabolical that I don't know if I can put him any lower than, like, half. Like, I, I think he's in the middle to third tier. I'd put him I at, think. I'd, I'd put him at the top of the secondary list around okay. there. So I, so here's here's where the, li- the, the top and the middle sort of blend together, okay? Right. Bodie from Point Break, Dom from Fast and the Furious, Victor Maitland from Beverly Hills Cop, Colonel Stewart and General Esperanza from Die Hard 2, that was last week, and uh, Paul Giamatti's character, Hertz, from Shoot 'em Up. I think he's more diabolical than Hertz. Like, Hertz is just creepy as hell. I think he's above Hertz from Shoot 'em Up. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd put him slight. I would put him one space above the characters from last week's film. Okay. I'm good with that. Okay. So he so he's outside the top ten, and he's sort of at the top of that second tier. And that brings us to... He could have been iconic if Clint had allowed for it. Yeah. This, like, I feel like you could have, because the, the character is really well played, but it was very much like, hey, this is my film, and you'll get something. Yeah. 
Okay, one through ten ranking system here for this movie. The only perfect tens are Die Hard and Halloween. Taken, John Wick, Commando, Beverly Hills Cop are all a nine or above. And then we have The Fast and the Furious, The Expendables, Top Gun, Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, Rocky Four, Bad Boys, Independence Day, Point Break, all above an eight. I'm going to go through the whole list here for people that are... We do this every Friday, and a lot of people have probably jumped in like mid-season. Code of Silence, Die Hard 2, Lethal Weapon, Casino Royale, Karate Kid, Speed, all above a seven. Out for Justice, Con Air, The Rock, all in the six range. Death Wish, 48 Hours, Pineapple Express, and Air Force One, all a five to a six. And then uh, the ones that are below a five are Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, Rambo 3, Wanted, Mad Max 2, Bloodsport, and Shoot 'em Up. Those are the bottom ones. Okay. So one through ten, Judd Zilgad. Um, the bad guy's not iconic, but the film itself is iconic. I'm going to give it an eight. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, iconic factor, uh, in- enjoyability factor. I think personality of the movie matters here. It, so. it holds up, in my opinion, yeah. for 1971 pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. I'll give it an eight. I actually, I give it a nine. Ooh. I give it a nine out of ten. And yes, the the bad guy iconicness holds it back from being a perfect ten, but the movie's very captivating. It still holds up. Dirty Harry and Clint Eastwood, I mean, it, it's great. I really do think that Clint Eastwood's character still holds up to this day. And as someone who hasn't seen a lot of old Clint Eastwood, I was totally into this movie. And, and I'm usually the guy who picks, like, current to, in the most in the millennium movies on, the, on these action movie rewinds. So having to go back to 1971, I was thoroughly impressed. I give it a 9 out of 10. So I, and I this is going to sound like a rip. I'm giving it a 7.5. I'm not going to change mine hearing yours. I really like this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dirty Harry slash Clint Eastwood, iconic figure. Some iconic lines in this movie. And I just felt like it dragged a little bit. Like there was a little bit of a false ending there that I, 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 I thought false if it was a more iconic bad guy, yeah. and if it did, you probably could have cut 10 or 15 minutes off to make it even snappier. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not here to rip it. It's a good movie, and I'm giving it a 7.5. So, so it's an 8.2, which puts it just on the outside of our top 10, right behind Roadhouse, Hard to Kill, and Rocky Four. So, Roadhouse. So pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right, so here's how it works. Uh, as of about a month ago, we take a listener submission, and then we all submit our own, and we put these up for vote, and then you guys decide on my Twitter account, at Phil Mackey. We'll leave the poll up for three days. You'll decide what we watch and review for next Friday's Action Movie Rewind. Let's start with, uh, I'll throw the listener one out, and then we'll go around the room. Zach H. Wants to nominate True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger okay. from the mid-90s. I like it. A classic 90s yeah, yeah. action movie. I'm in on that. Arnold. If that wins, yep. I'm in. All right, Judd. I'm going back to the well again because you know what? Until it wins, I might as well just keep going back to, to the well because Steven Seagal is one of the great thespians of all time under siege. All right. Under siege was just one percentage yeah. point. I'm glad it lost. So. Should have done a recount. I'm gonna go with it, it breaks our rules. I think it's a little over two hours, just like just over a fraction of two hours. But I'm gonna go with 19. Oh, it's a Keanu Reeves movie. I'm going with 1999's The Matrix. Oh, we're gonna do The Matrix. Right. Two hours, sixteen minutes. A little long. I think we can break. The, there's a couple on my list too that are over two hours, and if they are I- iconic enough or star someone who's iconic enough, then I think it I it usurps. And I'm gonna speaking of iconic, I'm gonna throw out. I think it's a late 80s or early 90s classic. Um, This was originally supposed to be what Beverly Hills Cop was. Sylvester Stallone decided, no, I want want it to be more like this. And they said, well, then you can make your own movie. Cobra. 
All right. Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw in that. The okay. late 80s. So True Lies, Under Siege, The Matrix, and Cobra. True Lies might not be a bad pick if, we, if that wins. I wouldn't mind. We'll put that up again if it doesn't because I'd love to do True Lies uh-huh. at some point. So there it is. That's a wrap on Action Movie Rewind. Every single Friday, we do entirely two deep dives into corny and uh, noteworthy action movies. I'm Mackie and Judd. We're looking for a bag, man. You want the job? Yeah. Okay, you got it. I'll be in the chief's office at 6 p.m. All right. Wait a minute. Uh, What about me? You're up. No cover, not even one man. Are you sure that's the way to do it? No, I'm not sure. But those are my orders, all right? No wonder they call him Dirty Harry. Always gets the end of the stick.